Welcome to the Lead On Podcast. This is Jeff Orge, the president of Gateway Seminary, talking with you once again about practical issues related to ministry leadership. Hey, before I get into the podcast today, from time to time, I uh, throw it out there and ask any of you who are listening to send me email suggestions about podcast topics, and I'm certainly open to hearing those right now. So if you've got an idea, uh, you can email me at jeffiorg at gs.edu, and I will try to address your issue on the podcast. Well, it's coming into the summer, and many of us are thinking about taking some time away, which reminds me of the importance of rest for ministry leaders. And so today on the podcast, I want to talk about the importance of rest for ministry leaders, but more, more than just talking about how important it is, I want to share with you some insights on how to do it well. I know that many ministry leaders over the years have told me how difficult it is for them to disengage from their ministry responsibilities and really rest. So today, I want to talk about how to do that more effectively. Ministry leadership is demanding. <clears throat> In normal times, it's demanding, but more so right now. All the more reason why you as a ministry leader must take care of yourself. In the context of expending yourself for the well-being of others and for the organization or church you lead, you have to practice some reasonable self-care to make sure that you're able to stay as a leader for the long haul and make the difference that you need to make. Now, my story on this uh, started in a bad way and then turned to a much better trajectory. When I started out in ministry leadership, I was a driven workaholic. I worked every single minute of every day. Uh, got up early, stayed up late, worked seven days a week, just pouring myself into ministry leadership. Now, as I look back, I realize that I was doing a lot of that because of my own insecurities as a person and as a leader, not so much out of devotion to the Lord or responsibility for my leadership role. Well, Ann and I got married, had a child, and I maintained this pattern I've just described into the early years of our marriage. But in about 1985, when we had been married about... Uh, for uh, about three, three, or four, four, three or four years, um, and we had a son that was about uh, one and a half, two years old. Uh, about 1985, Anne confronted me about my workaholic patterns and the damage it was doing in our relationship and it was going to do in our family over the long haul. And I'll be blunt, that, that confrontation was not pleasant. Uh, Anne demonstrated a lot of courage in confronting me, and my response was, uh, to say the least, not very uh, positive. But out of that confrontation and the prolonged argument and debate that resulted, I made the decision that I needed to start taking some time to rest and some more specific time for my family. So I decided to meet with the deacons of our church and tell them that I was going to need to start taking one day a week away from the church and from ministry leadership and really investing it in my family and resting. Now, I was so insecure at the time that I thought when I told the deacons that I was going to do this, that they might fire me, that they were going to be so disappointed that I was giving up this 
this lifestyle of devotion and service that I had um, been living, that they would just they would just say that I was fired. Now it seems so ridiculous to say that these years later, but I'm just trying to give you a snapshot of how bad it was at the time. So I go to the deacons meeting and I tell the guys, look, uh, I can't keep up this schedule. I'm going to have to start taking one day a week off. And I'm going to start doing that immediately and really investing more time in my family and resting and trying to, uh, you know, do what I should do for myself personally. When I finished my speech, expecting to be fired, one of the deacons said, well, I can't believe that you're taking one day a week off. And I thought, well, here it comes. And he said, every man in this room gets two days a week off. Why do you think you can only do it with one? And I looked around the room, and all these deacons were just nodding their head, and one of them said, we wondered how long it was going to be before you came to your senses. Of course you need to take a day a week off. More if you need it. You can't keep up this pace. No one's expecting it except you. Well, I walked out of that meeting and committed to spending more time resting and investing in my family. So um, we've been practicing that discipline of rest now for about 35 years. And in the last part of the podcast today, I'm going to get real specific about how we do that, so stay with me. But before we do that, let's take just a moment and look at what the Bible says about this subject. Now, you know on this podcast, I don't do a lot of preaching and teaching from the Bible. Uh, I preach and teach all over the country and in all kinds of venues, and there's a lot of messages of mine out there, so that's another opportunity. But that's not what this podcast is about, and you know that. But, but today I do want to just reference something about what the Bible says about the importance of rest. God models a pattern of time use for his people. And you can see this in Genesis 2-2 and in Exodus 20-8-11. And I encourage you to study those passages of Scripture. Here's God's pattern. He worked six days and rested on the seventh day. And he established this pattern of rest throughout the Bible. Not only did he have a Sabbath day of rest... But he then called upon us to follow his example, particularly in the Exodus 28 through 11 passage. Now, in that passage, we learn that the Sabbath was a holy or a separated day. It was a day without work or a day, as I like to say it, without advancing your own cause. It was a day that that reminds us of God's work as creator. And the Sabbath in that context lasted from sunset Friday to sunset Saturday. It was a sunset to sunset type experience. And the Sabbath included worship, our reflection on God and his work in our lives. Now, besides that pattern of work six, rest one, that's God established and then called upon us to follow, there are some other examples of rests in the Bible. In the Old Testament, for example, in Joshua 1.13, there is the rest that came in the land of Canaan. And then there's the rests associated with the Jewish feast days. You can find these in Leviticus chapter 23. The Jewish festivals like the Feast of Unleavened Bread or Passover or the Feast of Weeks or Pentecost or the Feast of Tabernacles or Tents. These were week-long celebrations when the people pulled away and rested and refocus themselves uh, for ministry and for life. 
And then there's also something in the Bible called the Sabbath year and the year of Jubilee, and you can read about that in Leviticus 25. Now, let me say that these patterns of rest in the Bible do not have to be precisely replicated today. In other words, uh, while I think Sabbath rest is very essential, I'm not sure that I could make the case that you have to take three one-week periods of rest throughout the year, just like the Jewish calendar called for, although, frankly, that might not be a bad practice. I'm not saying that these Old Testament patterns have to be precisely replicated in our life today, but I am saying that throughout the Bible, there is the pattern of Sabbath rest, and then what I'll call periodic rest or seasonal rest, and then there is uh, uh, other kinds of rest that focus on uh, pulling us away from the work or everyday grind of what we're doing. That's a pattern that's throughout Scripture. Now, the purposes of rest in the Bible were at least threefold. Number one, to remind people that God is the creator, sustainer, and provider. You know, this is one of the things that was at the root of my workaholism in my earlier years, and that is I really believe that it all depended on me. But God is the creator, sustainer, and provider, and when we rest one day a week, it reminds us of that. And then refocusing, rest refocuses people on God's presence in their lives. It's so easy to get so caught up in so much activity and to lose focus on the fact that God is present and working within us, and the Sabbath rest was designed to remind us of that. And then, this is very important, Sabbath rest was also designed to rejuvenate people for work. You know, God expects us to work, and I believe he expects us to work hard, and I, and I try to model that in my ministry leadership. I, I work hard at what I do and put my whole heart into it. But that day of rest every week rejuvenates me so that when I come back to work, I'm ready to go at it in a more intense way than I was able to do when I was simply working all the time. So that's a brief biblical snapshot of what the Bible says about rest. Now, what undermines our practice of rest is what I call believing myths about the ministry. Here are four examples. The first myth is, my success depends on my efforts. Now, I've already said that the Sabbath reminds us that God is the creator, sustainer, and provider, and so resting reminds me that my success doesn't ultimately depend on my efforts, but instead on God, who can do more through me in six days than I can do for him in seven days. Now, hear that again. God can do more through me in six days than I can do for him in seven days. My success does not depend on my efforts. Thinking that it does is a myth about the ministry. Here's another myth. I must always be available. I am indispensable. It's interesting to me that in our culture, the people who are most highly valued are not always available. For example, you can't just walk into your doctor's office or your attorney's office and see them without an appointment. They're not always available. They measure out their time so that they have the appropriate time for patients and for clients, but also the appropriate time for other aspects of their work. And we respect them for that, and frankly, we esteem people more highly who are harder to see than easier to see. So the myth that I must always be available or that I am indispensable just simply isn't true. Third, I must please everyone, meet everyone's expectations. 
Well, if you still believe that myth, you're not going to last very long in ministry because there are an endless list of expectations that people have for us, and we simply have to understand we will never be able to meet all of them. But one of the reasons we refuse to rest is because we're running ourselves into the ground trying to meet every other person's expectations. And then this last one is also troubling. The myth, I must harm myself or my family to prove my spiritual devotion. Listen, that is simply not true. You do not have to harm yourself or your family to prove your spiritual devotion. Now, I know that there are stories of missionaries and other ministry leaders who have harmed themselves or experienced harm in the context of their service. And while there may be seasons where we experience difficulty or maybe even harm in order to accomplish something remarkable, that is not designed to be the life pattern. I know that when the seminary was relocating, for example, uh, it took a great toll on me. It took a toll on me emotionally, and it even took a toll on me physically. But once that was over, I had to back out of that intense time of demand on me personally and recalibrate my life back to a more normal pattern of work. So while there may be seasons when we have to really pour a lot of ourselves into the work that we're doing, that's not necessarily to be the life pattern of everything that we do. Now, there are some solutions to these myths. Uh, Let me give you a couple of examples. First, use the ministry of Jesus, his whole ministry, as a model for your ministry leadership. Jesus worked hard. Jesus was stressed by many of the circumstances he encountered. Jesus walked and preached and taught and healed and engaged people in such a way that the Bible tells us he was fatigued by his efforts. But the Bible also describes periods of time where Jesus pulled away for rest, went away with his closest friends or or, or, uh, disciples and spent time with them. Uh, The Bible talks about Jesus going to things like weddings and other celebrations. So use the whole model of Jesus's ministry, not just some isolated incident to build the whole model of your ministry as well. And then another way to refute some of these myths is simply to copy good contemporary examples of ministry leadership. Find people who've been doing what we do for a long time and have done it well and have a balanced perspective and a good healthy family that has resulted and pattern your life after them not after people who've been less balanced or less healthy in their relationships. Well, having said all that now, where we've talked about the problem and I've given you some personal testimony of how serious the problem was for me and we've overviewed briefly what the Bible says about the importance of rest and talked about some of the myths that feed into our ignoring these biblical directives about rest and then maybe how to confront some of those myths by looking at the model of Jesus and the model of some more healthy people that we know today who are involved in ministry leadership. Having said all that now, let's spend the last half of the podcast talking about how to disengage from ministry, and how to rest. In other words, how to put into practice what the Bible says about rest and how to model the ministry of Jesus and follow the example of some healthier models that we might find in our culture today. So here are five suggestions for how to disengage from ministry and rest. Number one, set a definite day each week for rest. And have a goal of meeting that day of rest about 45 weeks a year. Now you may say, well, I think you should have a goal of 52. Well, you go ahead and have that goal. That'll be just fine. I'm going to stick with 45. Here's why. My schedule, just like yours, 
does have some unpredictability about it. And there are some weeks when things just blow up and my day of rest doesn't happen exactly like I planned. But what I've learned is if I will set out on a trajectory that says I'm going to have a day of rest every week and I will pick a day that works for me, my ministry, and my family, and I will aim toward that on a consistent basis, what I've discovered is I can rearrange most of my schedule to accommodate that, and on those few weeks a year when things really do, quote, blow up, I can miss that day if I have to. I estimate that for 35 years, my wife and I have been able to practice Sabbath rest about 45 weeks a year out of 52, and we think that's pretty good. Now, when we started practicing Sabbath rest, we started doing it on Thursdays. Now, the reason for that was pretty simple. Back in those days, our church had a Wednesday night service, and so when the Wednesday night service ended, I went home and started my time of rest. And I rested from Wednesday night all the way through till Friday morning. So I had the rest of Wednesday evening, all day Thursday, and then back to work on Friday morning. Now, that worked well for us because we had preschool children, and my wife was not employed outside our home. And so Thursday worked great for us, and it also kept me away from the Friday, Saturday, Sunday weekends. Our church had a lot of weekend activities. I had a lot of weddings. I had a lot of other weekend projects. Uh, Like most churches, we had Friday night activities and Saturday events, and so it was difficult to say that I was going to rest on Friday or Saturday every week for even 45 weeks a year, but I could do it on Thursdays. And so Thursdays was our day of rest for several years. Then, as our children got older, we switched it to Fridays. Now, as our children got older and got into school, we switched it to Fridays so that my wife and I would have Friday morning uh, and maybe even through the noontime and early afternoon alone together. And that gave us some time to connect and uh, do some fun things together or just talk and be without children for a little while. And then as our children came home in the afternoons, we were able to then, uh, you know, get connected with them and go into Friday night family night, which for us involved either going to activities or ball games or going to a, not, not, not that we were doing things like coaching or things like that, but like going out to a ball game or out to a show or out to a movie or going to a park or doing something at home with game night or something like that. And so for us, we started on Thursdays and we morphed over to Fridays. Now today, uh, I'm still using Fridays. Because of my work at the seminary, uh, I tend to travel a lot on the weekends and I speak somewhere almost every Sunday in some church somewhere in in the United States. And so I'm frequently on airplanes either on Saturday morning or Saturday night and uh, that <clears throat> means that Saturday is not a good day for, the, for, for a day of rest. And so typically for us, it's still Fridays. I also speak a lot of conferences during the weeks. And so Tuesdays, Wednesdays, Thursdays are usually traveling and speaking days often for me as well. But Friday's just a good day for us. Now, occasionally there are conflicts on Fridays, as I said. Uh, things blow up or something has to be scheduled or the travel lags over. We, we accommodate that. But about 45 weeks a year or more, we're able to have Sabbath rest on Fridays, and we've been doing this now for so long that it's just become a pattern of who we are. Number two, set a definite time each year for extended rest. Now, I'm patterning this after those three-week-long periods of rest that were in the Jewish calendar. Uh, As I said earlier, we don't have to follow that pattern exactly, but nevertheless, I think there is a pattern of rest that God designed 
that, and that calls for us to have some extended periods of rest. And this is one week minimum. Longer is better. Now, that means you're going to set aside a week or two weeks or three weeks. You're going to set aside some time every year when you're going to pull away from your ministry responsibilities and have an extended period of disengagement and rest. Now, in order to do that, you have to do a couple of things. First, you have to plan for coverage of your ministry responsibilities. Now, for pastors, they automatically think about preaching, but there's more than that. You have to think about coverage for your ministry responsibilities in terms of funerals, visiting the sick, leading meetings, and all the other kinds of things that we do as pastoral leaders. Now, coverage can come from um, another minister in your community that you share this responsibility with, where you go to him and say, hey, look, uh, I'll cover for you when you're on vacation if you'll cover for me when I'm on vacation. And our churches will know that we have this mutual relationship and we can call on each other as needed during that time. Coverage can also come from within the church family. Um, for example, trained deacons and other leaders to do hospital visitation and some uh, crisis uh, intervention kind of counseling uh, and to take care of the triage-type needs that come up in church ministry. Now, that doesn't mean that when you get back, you won't have to pick up and follow up on what happened while you were gone, but you don't have to worry about it while you're gone because you have good people who are trained and ready to take over and to, and to give you that kind of coverage while you're gone. Now, another part of good leadership is planning for your absence and making sure that your responsibilities are covered while you're gone. Now, this may be an anecdotal story, but it's told by Lee Iacocca. Uh, Lee Iacocca was an executive with Ford Motor Company, and uh, if you know anything about his history, he's famous for two things. One, he was the project manager for the Mustang and for the minivan, and those two vehicles were iconic and changed American car culture, and so in the, in the 1950s through the 1980s, Lee Iacocca was a big deal in America and business. He wrote a book in which he uh, told a lot of the stories of his leadership over the years, and he told this one story which has always fascinated me. Henry Ford uh, ran Ford Motor Company, and he was the one who had the final say on hiring the senior executives that worked at Ford. And Henry Ford had kind of a trick question that he asked these prospective executives when he got to the final interview. They would typically go out to lunch or in some casual part of the interview, he would ask this question. Hey, tell me what you did on your last vacation. And if the person said, uh, well, you know, I really haven't had a vacation in a couple of years because I've been so devoted to my work or so committed to my project or, you know, there's just been so much going on, I haven't been able to pull away. This was a huge negative for Mr. Ford. In fact, he said, if a man can't organize his work so that he can be gone two weeks a year, he's not a good enough executive to have a senior responsibility at Ford Motor Company. Henry Ford believed that a good executive not only did his work well, but could sustain his work even when he wasn't present. Now, that's what I'm talking to you about as a ministry leader. You have a responsibility to plan coverage, to make sure that when you're gone, your work continues on, to plan that by training people, equipping people, and developing partnerships so that you can go away and know that the basic responsibilities of your ministry will continue. So number one, set a definite time each week for rest. Number two, set a definite time each year for extended rest. Number three, whether it's your day or your extended rest, 
Number three, disengage from work-related communication. Now, this is going to be the hardest part of what you're going to hear on this podcast, but listen carefully. I want you to turn off your phone and your email. Turn it off. You say, oh, I just couldn't do that. Oh, yes, you can. Look, I'm the president of Gateway Seminary. I have 2,000 students and 150 employees. $12 million budget, five locations. I have much to do. But when I go on day of rest or on extended rest, I turn off my email. I turn it off on my iPad. I turn it off on my phone. And I don't turn on my computer while I'm away. I also set my phone to favorites so that only certain people can ring through on my phone. Now, before I had a phone that could set favorites, I actually would use an alternative phone, either my wife's phone or a burner phone, but I would use an alternative phone number that only a few key people had who could reach me in case of a true emergency. Now, I know many of you have a very difficult time disengaging from communication related to your work, but you will never really rest until you do. So turn off your email, turn off your phone, disconnect from social media, really take a break from work-related communication. Now you say, but what if? Well, what if? In my entire years of ministry leadership, I've only been called back from vacation one time. We had a death in our church. It was a very significant and difficult situation. The deacons called me and said, Pastor, we're so sorry, but we really think you need to come back home. And I said, you guys are exactly right. So I got on a plane and I flew home. When I got there, did the funeral, cared for the family. The next morning, the deacons handed me an envelope with a plane ticket back to vacation and said, you're not staying here. You're going back. And they sent me back on vacation at their expense. Most of the time in my ministry, when things have come up while I've been gone, they can wait a few days until I get back. That'll be the way it is with you. Most of what people think of is a true emergency really isn't an emergency. It can wait a few days. But if it really is an emergency, then the people who have your number know they can get a hold of you and know that you'll come back and take care of the situation. So disengage from work-related communication. Number four, use your rest day or your rest time to do whatever you enjoy. Just don't advance your own cause. One time I was in seminary and we were painting a house. I worked on a painting crew. And my supervisor and I were talking about what it meant to take a Sabbath rest. And he was also a seminary student and a little older than me, but nevertheless had thought about this a good deal. And he said, well, he said, I don't have a formal definition, but I just think it, taking Sabbath rest means you don't advance your cause. And I've never forgotten that phrase out there on that scaffolding, painting that house that day that I learned what Sabbath rest was. Don't advance your cause. In other words, Sabbath rest is not the time for studying for your sermons or doing long-range planning or thinking about what you're going to do when you get back home. Sabbath rest is about disengaging and not thinking about or working on or being encompassed by your work. Now, that means on Sabbath rest day or Sabbath rest time, you can travel or you can stay home. 
Now, I will admit that staying home is sometimes hard. If you live in a parsonage or you live in a small town, you may need to get away. But stay home or travel, whatever you like. Work or play or, or, or do nothing. Now, when I say work, I, I don't mean work at church or work on ministry. I mean work in your yard or work in your wood shop or work on that car you're restoring. It's okay to do work on your rest time as long as it's that kind of work. Or play or simply do nothing. I would caution you about trying to conquer on your vacation. Don't overcommit. And I would also challenge you to consider upping your activity level during your rest days. In other words, a rest day is the day to take the long walk. And while you're taking that two-week vacation, uh, don't spend it just sleeping and eating. Spend it also extra walking or exercising or being involved with some kind of physical activity. You'll feel better for having done that. And then number five, finally, on rest days, be with people that, you, that energize you and people who won't talk to you about ministry. Now, <clears throat> my wife uh, and I have, a, have a, a kind of a practice. We can call each other on this. On our rest day, if one of us asks a seminary-related question, the other one will say, now, we're not talking about seminary today. Oh, yeah, you're right. Thank you. And we move on. So on our day together, we try to not talk about things related to our work. But I want to also talk about the importance of getting some friends that you can spend time with who won't constantly be talking to you about ministry. I'm fortunate in this regard. I, I have some friends that I can do things with that don't ask me about the seminary. Uh, I have one particular friend. He and his wife uh, have vacationed with my wife and I multiple times. We first started doing this back when we had our kids in, at home, and we would go things and do things together as families. We've been on mission trips together. We've, we've traveled as families together. But now that our kids are all grown, sometimes uh, as couples, we travel and do things together. And one of the best things about that relationship <clears throat> is he never asked me about the seminary. Now, he cares about the seminary. He's a donor to the seminary. He loves the seminary. He values highly what we do. And all through the year, he'll ask me questions about seminary. But if we say, hey, let's spend a weekend together or let's go out together on vacation or let's get together and do something fun, I can count on the fact that while we're together, we'll talk about everything else but my work. And I try to do him the same favor and not ask him about his work when we're together as well. So how do you disengage and rest in ministry leadership? Set a definite day and time each week for rest. Set a definite time each year for extended rest. Disengage from work-related communication. You really can do it. Set a time, or excuse me, use your rest day or your time to do what you enjoy. Just don't advance your own cause. Travel, stay home, work, play, do nothing. Up the activity level a bit. You'll feel better if you do. And finally, be with people who energize you. Be with people who don't just want to talk about ministry. Be with people who help you to understand life and perspective and to think about things other than what you do for work every day. Well, it's summertime, and I hope sometime during this summer you're planning to pull away from, for some time to rest. I know I am. In fact, about the time you're hearing this podcast is about the time I'm taking a couple of weeks off to just simply disengage, as I've described on here today, and refocus myself and get ready for the next year of work that we're going to do here at the seminary. So, resting as ministry leaders... It's part of keeping yourself healthy as we lead on.